castle is set. Plugging coordinates in now. Hello and welcome to Castle Fun, the official podcast of the Star Wars Speculation subreddit. I'm Sam and I'll be hosting this episode today. My name is Luke and uh, it's good to be back here. Feel the fire here. Hi, my name is Liz. And we're going to kick things off today by talking about some of the latest Star Wars news that's happened in these past two weeks. I think the biggest story we have today is a little more information on Jon Favreau's recently announced live-action Star Wars TV show that's due to premiere on Disney's new online streaming service in 2019. Dan Casey from Nerdist was able to catch Favreau for a quick interview at the solo A Star Wars Story Hollywood premiere and managed to grab a few details about the highly anticipated show. The most important thing we learned was the show will take place seven years after the Battle of Yavin, which means it'll take place roughly three years after Episode Six. It'll feature an entirely new cast of characters and will use cutting-edge technology that the moving picture company created in the 2016 version of The Jungle Book. What do you guys think of these new revelations and which one excites you the most? Well, the three years after Return of the Jedi is, I think, the bit that comes up the most. So we are finally really exploring the period between the old trilogy and the original and the, the sequel trilogy, which is, I, I think, something everyone just wanted so much to see. Well, of, of course, that, that means we will be all waiting for cameos from Luke or Leia or, or Han even, which is, I think, a likely scenario if uh, if they want to cash in on Solo, but the, hmm. the whole new cast of characters also means we'll, we'll get some new faces. So. Yeah, I, th- I think what was interesting about what I heard was, uh, I guess, John Favreau had a pitch planned, um, so he actually approached Disney with this. It wasn't something that they sort of came up with um it was something that he had written and had kind of envisioned already so you know what he brought to the jungle book that animation just offers you know it offers so much to star wars it's gonna be awesome yeah i'm really excited about the whole like cgi thing as well jungle book was a beautiful beautiful movie visually it was so good and it worked so well especially with that story and and like with all the creatures they can do in star wars as well or like different species and all that uh, they can really do a lot with it. Right. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll hear a lot of uh, you know Lucas green screen jokes with <laughs> this one. Yeah. Uh, visually, it might be some of the best things we'll see on TV. Makes me wonder what what the budget is going to be for this TV series. How how expect are we talking like Game of Thrones level? Or I hope so. That would be amazing. <laughs> That'd be amazing if that was the case. Well, it's it's hard to estimate because. It, with with it being so CGI heavy, we don't have to explore different sets or, uh, it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, they I guess they need to build a set of assets, but well, what yeah. you have with this company coming in is um, the moving picture company, I guess is the uh, the name of the company that, or the, uh, you know, the animation studio. They, they already have, you know, a whole, s- how, how do I put it? Like, you know, when it comes to animation, you have to have your digital assets. So they already have all these textures right. for the animations, grass and all, all these other things, water, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. So they can, are, they, they already have all this stuff to use. So it's, it's ready to go. So I don't know if, you know, it necessarily balloons out of budget. You know, what made the Jungle Book different in that context compared to other films was that they weren't going on set to shoot on location. So it, in that sense, I suppose, what was the effort there? Was it was it for saving money? Was that why they went so CGI heavy with that film? I'm I'm interested in the time period it's actually set in, though. It makes me hope that we we probably won't see the first order, but we might see like the fall of the 
Would this take place after the Battle of Jakku, or is it going to uh, be... Yes, I think so. Jakku was one year after Endor, and uh, this is three years after, so... Yeah, this is after Jakku, but I'm sure we'll get some Imperial Remnants and, you know, uh, power vacuums, plenty of the aftermath of uh, the whole Civil War. Right, we might see the very early incarnation of the First Order, like the old Imperial officers that survived survived the war. Starting to try and pick up the pieces too. Which there weren't many. <laughs> right, so that'll, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, no, and, the, and then there's going to be, you know, probably a little family with a little restaurant or something, and or like a something like that. I don't know. John Favre's John Favre. What the one element I do know about his films is, or you know, all of his features tend to be that there's that really familial aspect to them. They're very uh, right. tight. They're very tight in terms of storytelling. So I don't, I don't know how. Well, it'd be in- it'd be kind of interesting if it didn't explore the war between. I mean, there is no war really now. It'd be kind of maybe if we see some sort of underworld. Because remember that that show that was going to be made by George Lucas. There was that. Uh, wasn't it to do right. with like the underworld and Coruscant? Um, I think it was literally called Underworld. Oh. And it's an interesting thing to compare Underworld to this show, since Lucas had like. Uh, what a hundred of a hundred scripts written, mm. but he wouldn't put them on TV since uh, the uh, budget the the budget for for one episode was like uh, I don't know a hundred million or something. So yeah, um, yeah but uh, sounds I, I reasonable. I think this this technology might be something that Lucas was waiting for to have a Star Wars show like this. So if if this thing pays off, maybe we'll finally see some underworld scripts <laughs> put to use. Well, this is it because with with like advancements in technology, things can be done cheaper and cheaper. So you know, like you said, maybe we will see some. I mean, if not specifically underworld, we we'll, might see some influence from underworld be put into this this new show by uh, by Favreau. That'd be really interesting to see that, and I'd love that personally if we get to see more more of George Lucas's vision placed into the the beginnings right. of the new trilogy. Hopefully not uh, Palpatine getting his heart broken, but <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. I mean, he's dead, so <laughs> I mean, it would be. Um... Well, yeah. we might. I mean, you know, the battlefront that you see the. Um... I don't. I don't know what exactly what the order was called, or you know what what that contingency plan was called. I I haven't gotten too in depth. Liz, you've. I know you've gotten into the Battlefront single player. Yeah, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, I just finished. I think it was like the first two missions. I so. think Fuel is speaking about Operation Cinder. Oh yes, yes, yes Operation Cinder. That's what it's called. And so maybe we'll see. If not Palpatine, we'll at least see. Maybe I don't know. Again, this is all just out there, right? What are those things called again? Those those kind of like droid-like things uh, that have like sentinels. Sentinels. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool if we could see one of them. Oh like... yeah, I do hope for a sentinel. And imagine uh, Ian McDiarmid yeah, cameo in that. Oh, oh man, man. that would be great. Okay, you just gave me some hype. <laughs> <laughs> if we could see something like that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know though, like because it does make me wonder, like the scale of the show. I mean, it's live action though, so they can. It's not like I don't want to say I don't want to like down talk the animated shows, but obviously because they know not that many people will be watching them, um, not that many like casual audience members. It's, it's only going to be like the kids and the more hardcore Star Wars fans like us, predominantly that that are going to be watching the animated shows. 
but with a live action show, you know, TV has kind of become the new cinema in a way. With with things like Game of Thrones and Westworld and all the massive ones that have like massively high budgets placed into them and loads of people watch them, they could be ramping this up for something massive. On the other hand, I kind of like what Fuel suggested with uh, Favreau putting in that familial uh, aspect, it, it being very tight and contained. It might be fun to view the the galaxy after the Civil War from a point of view of uh, like like a regular family, like a, some regular folks just striving by and uh, of course somehow getting involved in a bunch of stuff kind of like uh, there was this not really canon uh, lego star wars show the adventures of freemakers or something about uh, yeah oh, i remember seeing the avatars yeah yeah i mean i mean it's uh i don't want to talk about that show and uh, or anything but it did center around the family and i think in that regard it worked fine so i i think it if favreau does it good i think it might be a fun angle to to approach a TV show in Star Wars. Well, Star Wars has always kind of been very intimate. When you actually like look at it, when you actually bring well, it down, it's to about it's... family. Well, yeah, this is it, and it's always well, the one thing that I that I've always loved about Star Wars is it's the intimacy of small plots and characters. Yeah, it's taking place in this massive grand universe of all this stuff happening at once, and it's it's like simultaneously intimate and also expansive. You know, with with anything Star Wars, you you know you're pretty much going to get that much. So I mean, it's it's for me, it's super exciting to speculate on what the show could be. Liz, do we know? Because you've read the last shot, haven't you? Do we know that if the last shot takes place after this? Last shot is very very jumpy. Ah. It takes place right after the Han Solo movie, and oh. right, oh, like when Ben is two. That's that's the time frame. So it's going to be around the same sort of time period then, because Ben's going to be what about one, two here at this point. Whoa, um, but yeah. So I, I I don't think you will see. I mean, we won't see our main characters right at all. Yeah, we're not. I I have a feeling we are not going to see any OT characters in this. And if we do, it's going to be very, like a reference, and we're not going to actually see them. I just have that feeling. Kind of like Agents of Shield with the Avengers not showing anything, but yeah. flying. <laughs> exactly. I hope not. Well, I'm I'm personally hoping that we don't see any original. I don't want it to be like, hey, a cameo here and a cameo there. I mean, a few cameos would be nice, but nothing with the you know original trilogy characters or anything like that. I think that would be a little bit too contrived. Um, but I, I'm just more talking in like the because I haven't read the last shot yet. I keep meaning to, but I haven't yet. But more in the sense of like, what is the world looking like at that point, and what state is the galaxy in? That sort of thing. I don't know if it goes oh, yeah. into that much. No, well, I, hopefully, I mean, it might be interesting to see as you guys were saying. Um you know, something smaller, but where you're seeing sort of the effects of what the other films uh, had on the galaxy. You're hearing news or hollow stories, or I'm not sure what news, you know, how to refer to the news, but (laughs) you're hearing stories about this or that happening and how it's, you know, affecting the local. Yeah, and slowly, slowly over the course of the season, seeing how the the world's actually changing around, changing around the characters and stuff like that. Like the Death Star blowing up or something, you know, (laughs) that's kind of a big deal probably there. I mean, yeah, I'd imagine so. And, like, how will the galaxy actually respond to the, the fall of the Empire? Will it be, you know, I'm sure a lot of people see it in a positive way, but maybe there'll be characters that see it in a negative way, and these are all questions that, that can be explored. Um, but does anyone else have anything to say about John Favreau's show? I'm pretty open to this, uh, more so than the whole Resistance show. Mm. So. 
Oh, my, uh, I'm the opposite. I uh, I'm so excited for for the Resistance show, given that you know uh, you know the whole Dave Filoni's background with the Avatar and the Resistance show being marketed as uh, or advertised as uh, anime-like, kind of gave me that Avatar vibe. So. I think it might be a surprise, and it might be a better show than the anticipate. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm super excited, and I just gotta say I'm super happy to have such a talented team joining. You know, Star Wars. It it seems really. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I mean that's that's some that's some top level talent you're bringing in. So that I think just on that note, everybody can be happy. I think for me, it's just like I I, can't, I still can't actually believe that we're getting a live action Star Wars TV show. Like this has been talked about for. For years, like oh, this right. this TV show, and and now we're actually getting one. It just doesn't quite seem. First, we get the new trilogy that I certainly wasn't expecting that anytime soon, and now we're getting a, a live-action TV show. It's just it's all happening with Star Wars, so it's it's great. So the next bit of news is a casting call for Episode Nine, and it's reported on by that hashtag show. J.J. Abrams and casting director Nina Gold are searching for an actress to play a brand new character named Caro. According to the report, they are looking for an ethnic female with a strong preference on African-American, who is between the ages of 18 and 16. Caro is, and I quote, a leader and a problem solver, smart with a great sense of humour and strong will. All this comes effortlessly to her, and she is said to possess a captivating naturalness and ease to her manner. So, what do you guys expect to see from this character, and what role do you think she might have in the story? Well, what I immediately thought when I when I read this casting was her being involved with the resistance, her being a leader type, mm. um, maybe representing some of the uh, allies of General Organa. Although her being the, I think uh, she's supposed to be a similar age to Ray and uh, and Finn. Uh, she might be getting well. She, she might be the, the next Rose, as in she might have a bigger, bigger presence in Nine. Though I, I, uh, I don't think she'll be anything like uh, Hidden Jedi or anything. N- not that big of a role. I saw some great speculation, um, and it really took me by surprise when I, when I saw it mentioned. But afterwards, it kind of seemed to click a little bit that she might actually be a Knight of Ren. And I know the, the character description almost doesn't fit. It almost doesn't fit to the point where I think it fits too well, because I think the if the Knights of Ren are still alive, which wouldn't definitely wouldn't surprise me at this point, but the name Caro, it's not too... It, it, Caro, Ren, Kylo Ren. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it wouldn't... It's not okay. too, too much of a stretch. Even and a I bit th- on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. And maybe this is all like based on speculation, but I, I feel like I have to mention it because it really did capture my imagination but you know it's she almost seems like the opposite to kylo ren you know problem solver with a smart and great sense of humor and strong will all this comes to her effortlessly if she was like kylo ren's second in command and close friend or ally you know if the, if the knights of ren are, are indeed his his friends we could see some like really great interaction between them she would sort of be around the um, if she is if they're looking at someone who is I mean, roughly the same age. I, I don't have the casting goal in front of me, so... They're looking for someone between the ages of 18 and 26. And assuming that Ben's fall took place six years before... He's around 30. He's 30, so... If she's, like, five years younger than him, I think it still kind of fits. If she was a teenager during the whole temple fall. Yeah, that'd be great. And that would, um, um hopefully that would kill some of the speculation that she might be a romantic interest because okay i mean obviously 
What do you mean? She's a female. Of course, she's a romantic interest. <laughs> it just—it oh. would just seem weird to me if, <laughs> if, if Ben at the time was twenty-three and she would been she would have been what like twelve. That might—I can't imagine that. So yeah, I don't want to—I don't want to get too much into that. But it would uh, just... yeah, we'll get into difficult relationships later. So. <laughs> Hearing this news for the first time, I thought that uh, immediately resistance, and then with the age, I thought that she was gonna be like a second to Poe because you know Leia's not gonna be here so I think she's gonna kind of challenge Poe a little bit and kind of you know be a second um, That'd be great. and like the description fits perfectly like problem solver you know. yeah that, 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 that's what I thought at first too with her being kind of a new young leader figure in the yeah resistance. and it seems like it, again the description everything comes natural to her it seems uh, a, a nice balance for Poe since he's so, like, hot-headed and, like, he might right. do something stupid. He needs someone to keep him grounded, especially if Finn's off doing whatever he's going to do, like, his arc and all that with Rose or if Rose is even going to be a thing anymore. I think I think John Boyega said that, he said somewhere that um, Finn, I mean, it's pretty much a given, I mean, come on, but that Finn and Ray were going to be, like, reunited in episode 9. They were gonna yeah, have, like, I think I mean, they'll do a lot of stuff They were already together. reunited in TLJ, so... <laughs> well, they were, but, I mean, so it's, like, it's not really news, uh, yeah. but I think that Finn and Ray are going to obviously share a lot of screen time in... Because, you know, that was a dynamic that, that works very well in episode 7, so I'm sure JJ's going to want to recapitalize on that. Yeah. Do, do you guys see Rose coming back for episode 9? I hope so. I love I do. Rose. I, yeah, she's I, so I, cute. I can't say I love Rose, but I'm certainly... To be honest, and, and this is no disrespect to Ryan Johnson here, I really liked Rose's first scene in The Last Jedi, and then from there it went a little bit south. But I think JJ would... Ironically, I think JJ is a probably probably a better director suited for Rose's character. I don't know why, I just got that, that sense in... Her very first scene felt very JJ-esque to me, her first scene with Finn, and I just think that JJ could probably do that character more justice than what I think Ryan... And this is no disrespect to Ryan, you know, he, he obviously had a vision for the character. I just don't... I didn't really like the character post her first scene. She grated on me. She had some right. some strange well, lines. I, I do think that her showing up in 9 is a given. It, it would be like Lando not showing up in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she'll, she'll probably have like a Lando-sized role in the film. Like, yeah, exactly. Which is actually, I mean, Lando blew up the second Death Star, no big deal. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. Well, I mean, especially <laughs> if, she's, if she's set up to be Finn's love interest, like Last Jedi may have hinted at, I mean, with the kiss at the end and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, that is a hint. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty on the nose even. But I don't know, Finn seemed kind of dead to it. But um... he was shocked. Okay, he almost died. She's like on the ground, almost dead. And... They've got an eighty eighty or what? What are they called in? What are they called in the new gorilla trilogy? Walkers. The Gorilla I mean, Walkers. I don't know the yeah. exact like number is model. I mean, he's probably thinking, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we run? Like, yeah, he he's just me? like, whoa! I didn't see <laughs> I this coming. I don't but... blame him for a for that, but um. Hey, yeah, I've seen worse circumstances for a kiss. So right, let her go. But Ryan, <laughs> if you're listening, I I'm so sorry. I I love Rose. Don't listen to what Sam and everyone is saying. Oh. Don't listen to sequel memes. I love Rose. Okay. Someone has to. So Caro, we're thinking she's either gonna be some form of second to Poe, or, you know, I did see, a, like like I said, that speculation about her being a Knight of Ren, possibly. I feel like that could be could lead to some interesting scenes. It, it really depends where they take Kylo Ren's character in Episode Nine, but... And now I'm going to pass it off to Fuel to talk about some solo news. 
Please note this is all officially released material from Lucasfilm themselves, but if there are any listeners out there who want to stay completely spoiler free, mute the audio now. We'll get a spoiler warning in the video that will stay up until the spoilers have stopped, and then you're free to unmute and carry on listening in peace. Go ahead, Fuel. Spoiler warnings. A lot of media getting released here for Solo upcoming in uh, about two weeks now, so I'm not sure uh, how often you guys are going on the internet, but they're uh, flooding it with all sorts of info we wouldn't see normally for an upcoming Star Wars movie. In this case, we've gotten some pretty juicy stuff. Official track list released recently. Uh, actually, by the composer, John Powell, on Instagram, we have a full track list here for solo now again spoilers but uh this thing is uh pretty conclusive i'm not sure uh which of you guys here have gone over this thing but uh you know reading through it if you've been looking at any pictures uh that have been released or any you know imagery you can kind of start piecing together what this film's gonna look like yeah it does give us a structure of the movie at least but regardless of that it does tell us the title of uh, of han solo theme uh, composed and conducted by john williams the adventures of han which is uh, i think what everyone's most excited for Though I'm sure John Always. Powell will do a great job on the, on the soundtrack. This simple little touch of John Williams gives the soundtrack legitimacy in a way, I feel. So I'm really excited to hear all of that and uh, hear his, Williams' presence throughout the tracks. Now, um, I, also, you know, they have been releasing some short clips here and there. One of them, I'm not sure if any of you guys caught this one, it was the Emphis Nest sort of small scene with Han Solo and uh, Beckett uh, hanging around. And man, uh, just a really powerful piece of music in the background there. And unlike anything you've sort of heard, I, it, it sounded closest to me like maybe the Rogue One soundtrack, um, just in you know how, how it, it had a different influence. It, it, it was nice. It's just a different sound for Star Wars music and uh, very welcome. Um, the Western theme, I think, suits itself to the variation in the music. Right. So it's really awesome. Also, John Powell did some of my favorite soundtracks of past, what, uh, 10 years? Like How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda, even the Born Identity movies. He'll do a great job, for sure. I'm really excited about Lando's Closet. Can can we be real for a second? Like, that's going to be so amazing. There's a, yeah. <laughs> so extra. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a song, a, a, a one of these tracks is titled Lando's Closet, which in itself represents what a scene of the film, as well as a song. <laughs> so, it's a, yeah, that that should be a pretty awesome piece. Yeah, uh, that's a good segue to to another bit of solo news, I think. Yeah, uh, there was another um, video as well going on to more media that released here for solo. Uh, we had a short featurette that was also shown in the Han Solo red carpet, uh, if you were watching that. They had a featurette called Lando's Closet, or something like that, and, uh, and the Falcon. Basically just a tour of the of the Millennium Falcon, Lando, Lando's Millennium Falcon. And a uh, very nice little piece uh, going through the ship. We got to see the kitchen, you know, the bunks, and Lando's got a pretty clean ship, guys. Uh, Another little interesting piece there, uh, if you were watching, in his quarters, we actually saw a new animal name there, the Kajak Hairlined Bed. Did a search for that creature, and uh, I'm not finding any history, so if anybody has anything, 
let us know. Um, Kajak seems to be like a new animal here. So Kajak hairline bed. Pretty neat. Speaking of animals, uh, the Karelian hounds. Hello. Like, that's pretty cool. Did you see that that clip? Oh, yeah. That released of them? Yeah, that's uh, terrifying. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> also, an, uh, another interesting thing I noticed when watching that clip of Lando's closet. He says in it that Lando kinda has the Millennium Falcon. I wonder what he meant by that, because it... He's just renting it. <laughs> right, but... Uh, it's a rental. It might be a rental. Maybe he, stole it. Maybe he doesn't have it for a big part of the movie. I- I'm not sure, but I- I'm sure there will be plenty of property hijinks, like who's owning the Falcon now, or... <laughs> he's, a, he's a smuggler, right, in this, in this movie? Yeah. So, I don't know, like, who is he working for? Is he working for Jabber? Is he working for... I don't know, maybe maybe you're right, Fjord, maybe he is renting it. <laughs> like, maybe yeah, he's renting yeah. Out no, it's a very clean ship. I mean, I mean, it we is. know that much. It, from, from where we see it in, you know, the original trilogy, the ship has gone through some stuff. Now, so. let me ask a question here, because I don't know if how serious... I'm pretty sure it was Pablo that said this, and I don't know how serious he was being. But apparently, you know the little, little cameo you see of the Falcon in Revenge of the Sith, right? Yeah. He said that that is the Falcon as well, but that looks like the original trilogy one. So how does yeah, that work? Uh, so Pablo said that, yeah, that is uh, the Falcon still in Revenge of the Sith. What uh, Lando has done with it is he just renovated it. The Falcon we see in Solo is not a new ship. It's ah. a good-looking ship. It's a pimped-out ship. It's not a new one. I mean, Lando's done a really good job, because... Yeah. Pablo, <laughs> making us have to explain this stuff, man. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it just seems that Falcon has always been old, and Lando just brought it to, to the present day a bit with, uh, with his own uh, sense of style and fashion. Oh god, please don't tell me when they do like an Old Republic series eventually, don't tell me like the main characters are going to have the Falcon or something, and they're going to say it was an really That's old ship. That's precisely so. what's going to happen, no. Sam. Embrace it. No! <laughs> Not everything has to be there. Um, when 900 well, years old, you reach. <laughs> the Falcon. Did Yoda own the Falcon at one point? Maybe that's what's going to be revealed in the Yoda, the Yoda anthology movie. Um, so then moving on... Um, we also had a cast. I mean, man, these guys are releasing everything coming up. I'm, I'm hoping it's. I mean, this movie has gone through a lot, so maybe they're you know taking that extra step. But uh, I mean, I'm excited for it. They're still giving us a lot of stuff here, though. We got a casting list here uh, for the film, which uh, lets us know pretty much who all the main characters are here. Which is fine. I mean, it's not anybody you haven't really seen, but getting some confirmations basically. And uh, I'm sure they have a you know a surprise or two in here somewhere. Any characters you guys saw in here that you were excited for? Well, the one thing I just want to ask a question, and this this is going to sound like a really ignorant question, but when when casting lists like these are released, are the the top characters are they to do with how established the actor is, or is it more to do with like the role in the film they play? Because I noticed that Beckett was way higher up the list than I originally would have thought. I thought that Beckett was going to be I tend um, to see that it's a combination of uh, right. of both. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking Woody Harrelson is a pretty damn established actor, and you know I just didn't know what it was 
you know, what took precedence? Was, is it his role in the film or is it uh, the, you know, the actor's uh, name? Like Fuel says, if it depends on, on your goal as uh, basically as the marketer of the movie. If, if, if you want to, as, to highlight uh, an actor, an established actor, then sure, you put him all, all the way up. There's some even, I think, have it in their contracts that they have to be top billing. Yeah, that's a, a thing is getting your name sort of higher in the posting. Yeah. But of course, there's also the um, you know uh, highlighting the main characters, so you, you you'll see the main protagonist there. So uh, it's a combination of both, yeah. Yeah, because I also noticed that Thandi Newton was pretty high, and we haven't really seen much of her in the trailer. So again, that was kind of uh, a little bit of a shock to me if they if if that does indeed mean that how big of a role they'll actually play in the movie. But I guess that's kind of like based the speculation at this point because oh yeah, it doesn't really tell us much. It's a wild card wild card character. Mm, for sure. Maybe it should be Emphy's Nest. Mm. Huh. Who knows? Well, um, interesting, um, or sort of confirmations on here. Uh, cool confirmations, I guess. Uh, John Favreau invi- uh, involved as well in this film. Oh. Um, playing a character here, a voice uh, for a character. Um, got a name on that. I'm not sure if, <laughs> if you guys are uh, up for this. I guess we, had sp- we did give our, our spoiler warning earlier, so... Uh, we do have a character here, Rio Durant, uh, confirmed to be voiced by John Favreau, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Favreau always inserts himself into his movies. Well, m- most of the time, and I hope he does show up in the TV show. That'd be great. And we also have the confirmation there for um, Clint Howard uh, making an appearance in this film. Uh, yeah, Ron Howard puts his brother in uh, in every Ooh. film. Um, okay, so, so that's just a confirmation Ron's we're going to get, yeah, Ron Howard's brother in this one too. Is Ron Howard in the film? Not that I'm aware of, but mm. uh, but he might be a, a secret cameo. They do like to include directors of other movies in uh, the, the the new movies, like that's true. Ryan Johnson operating the Death Star and Gareth Edwards was in Last Jedi as well. Yeah, to be fair, I would definitely include that in my contract. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> every all of that, and then I'll be in the next movie too, please. Yeah, come on, I mean, you're gonna want yeah. Or three. I mean, we're going to get Star Wars until the day we die, so... Yeah, yeah, no doubt, so... <laughs> um, but uh, going on here, uh, I think that kind of wraps up this segment. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else you guys wanted to um, bring up on the info here. I, I didn't want to get too deep into it just because we have the movie coming up, want to build some hype, but don't want to get, you know, too much spoiled. And now onto the speculation segment of the podcast, where we talk about some of the burning speculative topics that have been on our minds this week. The first thing I wanted to bring up was how Luke Skywalker's role was going to be handled in Episode 9. This is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but a recent tweet by Mark Hamill showing Luke Skywalker sitting on his meditation rock and saying his famous line, See you around, kid, made me feel like it was a relevant discussion for today. In what fashion would you like to see Luke return in Episode 9, if at all? Force goes. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's pretty much a given at this point. But... Forever and always. Ghost. Well, I, I throw an idea out there for you to discuss, because if, if you read the original draft of the Revenge of the Jedi, as it was called back then, at the end, when Luke is about to confront uh, Vader and the Emperor, we see Ben Kenobi and then Anakin Skywalker, uh, after Vader died, of course, coming back in flesh. Uh, oh. their force ghost 
curse lifted or something. I don't remember the specific details, but it was in Lucas's early scripts and early ideas that when someone became a force ghost, he could eventually, with uh, enough you know stuff going on, come back. So what do you guys think about Luke coming back? I would hate it. I would hate it just for what it means for Star Wars. It's yeah, like Yeah, I wouldn't like it at all. Look, I mean, they already get a, a get out of jail free card when they can become a force ghost. I think having it so they right. can kind of revive their body is is taking it one step too far. I mean, as as much as I'd love to see Luke come back in the flesh, I feel like there is there has to be some sort of sacrifice that they have to make uh, when they do indeed die. I think it would take away from Luke's sacrifice a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah, of, of course. Still, uh, it is there. <laughs> it's there on the and, table. I'm yeah, not going to touch and... it, but it's there, you know. <laughs> Uh, also, I I think that in that script, uh, Yoda said that uh, Obi Wan was able to to return in flesh uh, because Anakin came back to light. It was like ah uh, okay, <clears throat> Anakin's redemption meant that, that they could come back. I I don't know how it's supposed to work, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic. I mean, there's all this stuff with the cosmic force. You know, oh, yeah. anything could happen in Star Wars. So if if we stick to look as a Force ghost, as we should for for nine, I think it would be interesting to see him go back and forth between Ben and Ray because obviously well obviously uh, as i imagine it for the end of the TLG uh, Ben and Ray are not in a tacking mood right now they no. are not gonna spend too much time exploring each other by by the means of a dialogue so i think it would be fun if Luke kind of tried to work as a mediator uh, trying to mend those bridges that they burned oh that would be brilliant well the one thing we did kind of see in the last jedi when he's sort of like dying um he, he sees two sons and they're both half covered by clouds which to me represents like the balance between the light and the dark. It's, you know, it's half half light, half concealed by dark cloud. Maybe that's trying to represent that he finally saw what the balance of the force actually meant, uh, which is, you know, the balance that's of the light. That's beautiful. I'm not, I'm not saying it definitely it like is. Um, I, I, to be honest, I can't take credit for this. I did read it somewhere, so I don't want to take credit for it. I can't remember who wrote it, but it might have been a post on the Reddit or Discord or something. If I could remember the name of the person that did it, I would definitely shout him out because it was great. But yeah, and, and that's what he kind of realized in his dying moments. So if he does come back as a Force Ghost and he and he does play the mediator role between Ray and Ben, it gives him a purpose to actually do that. Right, to get the light and dark working together. Again. Right, right. He's like, listen, I know I blew up that hut earlier. <laughs> but I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry I interrupted. I didn't realize what was going on. I was sorry. Um, so I don't know. Well, but... tell Ray. <laughs> I mean, the, another idea of him being a force ghost, I personally wouldn't be disinclined to the idea that, okay, so they're not actually coming back. They're more kind of force manifestations of illusions for Ben. But he's obviously split right now, I think. There's the Ben Solo personality and then there's the Kylo Ren personality. So, like, so kind of like symbolize that. You would have, I know a lot of people... I mean, me personally as well, I really liked Snoke in The Last Jedi, and I don't hate the fact that his character was killed off. I think he was killed off in a, in a perfectly satisfying way, and it was great for moving the story forward. But that still doesn't stop me from wanting to see Andy Serkis again reprise his role. So I'm thinking if we, we get an angel and a devil for Ben, Luke being the angel and Snoke being the devil on his shoulder, and having them 
maybe it could come across quite cheesy. Um, I don't want them, like, fighting or anything like that. Like, maybe they can't even see each other. But if Ben can hear them both, and that symbolizes his, like, mental thought process. Sort of driving him, driving him mad, sort of. Yeah, do you remember? Okay, uh, this is more of, like, a, a visual and a sound-wise that I'm thinking. Mm. Um, you know when uh, Anakin had those dreams? Kind of like that. Like, maybe he's dreaming and he hears like snoke and luke talking at the same time you know oh, do this do this and he's just like going mad he doesn't know what to do yeah i mean that really symbolizes conflict and yeah i think great. that could work i'd love that i mean luke has to come back like it's i don't think it's even a question up for debate if if luke wasn't in episode nine there'd be something seriously missing with that movie yeah. even if he's in it for like one scene and um, which i mean you know i think there's definitely going to be more than that I have a I, I have a crazy theory based on absolutely nothing that um that Join the Disney club. <laughs> those are the best guys. Disney has um you know this wonderful technology uh, to you know CGI characters into films. You saw Tarkin in Rogue One. What if um and I and again purely based on nothing, but Luke Skywalker being one of the most important characters to the franchise, you already have Yoda as a force ghost that you can pretty much bring up whenever you need to call on him. What if Mark Hamill does something like that, where he, you know, records his likeness for Disney, where they can use the character essentially in perpetuity, giving his likeness to the character, sort of, so they can bring up Luke as a force ghost whenever needed. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but expected, I think, the the way the technology is evolving these movies are making yeah they're, they're making hand cash over foot so it's not like they couldn't make some contract that would work these thoughts about studios recording the whole actors performances and kind of extrapolating a cgi person from them have been going around for for a while now and i think it will happen eventually i don't think mark would want it I don't think he he's the one who want to to kind of immortalize himself this way. He he I think he'd like to just make a performance and then attend some celebrations and comic cons and not not relieve his. I I don't know about that because I mean I'm not saying he would definitely want it, but the one thing we did see from the Last Jedi is he wasn't particularly wasn't particularly down with the direction that Ryan Johnson had, had taken right. with that movie, but he went with it because he knows. He knows that Luke isn't his. It's not. It's not his possession. And I think that he wouldn't necessarily be against having Luke immortalized and get, handing him over to, as long as he felt like Luke was going to be left in in reasonably good hands. I think that he might be open to that. I, I'm not saying he'd definitely be, you know, first first in line for it. But if he was approached, I think with some consideration, I think he might accept that. If they said, "Hey, here's a here's this idea we have." And we'll give you this contract where, you know, we use your character, here's a bunch up front, and he can become a humanitarian a la George Lucas, you know what I mean? Oh my god, yeah. It's not a terrible way to go. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. Maybe, yeah. This may be completely wrong, but I swear I remember hearing Dave Filoni got James Earl Jones to, like, record pretty much every word for Darth Vader. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah it's, it's not unheard of, you know, um, mm. doing that. So that implies to me that they might actually want to use Vader in the future. I mean, they're, they're probably going to, right? You know, and if anything... Oh, they are obviously going to, and, and I'm sure... Well, that, that again, is uh, baseless at this point, but uh, I'm sure we'll see 
Vader in some capacity in nine. He's just a big character to not show up at the conclusion of the of the entire saga. So right, Hayden and James L. Jones kind of meshing together would be really cool to see. Oh, li- like in those The Force Awakens concept arts yes. with uh, Anakin's Force Ghost kind of going back and forth between Anakin and Vader. Oh my gosh, that's so that. heartbreaking. That'd be beautiful. I want that. Or like how in season two of Rebels, where he's fighting Ahsoka, and he like oh, yeah. ha- has that ah. like yeah, the mask is like coming off, and it's like oh, that'd be great. Oh man, that duality is oh, it's so beautiful. Good. I mean, if episode nine is to do with balance of the force, light and dark, then showing some duality between Anakin and Vader would be the perfect way to like represent that. Yeah, it's perfect. So we're all pretty much in agreement that Luke will be back. He'll probably be a Force ghost. And, you know, I think we all like the idea of him being a mediator between Ben and Ray. I definitely think he's going to be haunting Ben uh, a lot. I don't know what kind of interactions he's going to have with Ray. Um, seeing as, I mean, they, they got pretty close in The Last Jedi, but nothing, you know, they weren't. I don't know. I mean, it's Star right. Wars, so I don't know. Maybe maybe these things mean more than meets the eye, but... Pew, pew, lasers. <laughs> pew, pew, laser sword. Um, but yeah, so I think we're pretty much all in agreement about Luke, right? For episode nine. And speaking of Luke, I'm going to hand the next topic over to our own Luke. Hey. Oh, thank you. Well, harmony and balance are kind of... Is that the, the fact that we just talked about the balance of the Force yep. and run with that. So the balance of the Force, you all know it... <clears throat> It's been set up in episode one, Phantom Menace, and has been driving fans crazy ever since 1999. Now, with the sequel trilogy in place, we've all been wondering on and on about whether the balance of the Force, as it was presented so far, has been fulfilled, has been brought, or not. So there are basically two points of view, and it's all leading kind of to the whole harmony of the Force I want to talk about. So I think the dominant theory right now is that Anakin's redemption and actions at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi when he killed Palpatine did not bring the actual ultimate balance to the Force, and it's actually up to Rey and Ben to... To, to bring that balance, but what I was uh, thinking about is that well, everyone and George Lucas himself, most of all, been saying that Anakin was the chosen one and he did bring the balance in uh, Return of the Jedi. So, assuming he did that, assuming that uh, killing Palpatine and turning back to the light was him bringing the balance. What's left for Rey and Ben to actually achieve in, in Episode Nine in the sequel trilogy? And that's something that, in uh, uh, if you go back to the whole yin-yang philosophy that inspired the Force and the balance of the Force, uh, is called harmony, which is uh, not only when the two pieces, the light and dark, are balanced as in equal in power, equal in measure, and neither is overpowering each other, but working together harmoniously and uh, like, you know, the the Inyan symbol, so it's all swirling, it's all turning a bit grey, which we, which kind of references the poem in the Force Awakens novelization with resolving the grey. So I was wondering what are your thoughts on the matter? Do you think that the balance is yet to be seen, or are we seeing the balance and the aftermath of it in the sequel trilogy? Okay, I'm 
very much in agreement with you about this, and we've we've had discussions about this like off the podcast, right? About like right. balance and harmony. And I have a little a little theory, and it could just all be you know baseless speculation again. I mean, this is pretty much the baseless speculation podcast, so <laughs> why the hell not? So I'm thinking Anakin did bring balance to the Force. I'm pretty confident in that, right? Because otherwise, his story doesn't mean that much. I mean, if if it's just okay, you failed, and now like let Ben and Ray handle it, you know, that doesn't seem like it. It would mean that much. Now, if you look at Anakin in the sense that what he did was cleanse the Force, right? Light and dark exist, but the Jedi and the Sith, or as we as in the forms that they were, we see them in the movies were almost like a corruption of these two sides, right? They were impure. They used it to serve their own will and, you know, were messed up along the way. And Anakin brought the end, to, or, well, I guess, no, no, Vader brought the end to the to the Jedi, right? He balanced the light side of the Force, or cleansed the light side of the Force. And then Anakin brought the end to the Sith, so he cleansed the dark side of the Force. So now then, this the Force is now in balance and it's cleansed, which allows two new entities, which would be Ben and Ray, to almost be the, this, these purified representations of these two sides of the Force. So the Force is now balanced, and now all that needs to happen is the, the two sides of the Force that are now pure and now can actually coexist with each other to come together as one and harmonize. So yes, Luke, I, I do definitely agree with that. Great, and uh, yeah, it's something that's been hinted at uh, throughout the... Uh, the new canon material, with, especially with uh, the Poe Dameron comics, in which Lor Santeca yes. brings up the fact that the light and dark sides of the Force used to work together in the past, but, you know, things uh, kind of went south. The other thing that's uh, interesting here is that it's a really small line of dialogue that I think is very important in the Clone Wars, when mm. Darth Maul comes back to his senses, basically, when uh, you know when Mother Talzin uh, is restoring him, he has this exchange with uh, Savage. He says that the Force feels out of balance. The Savage says that yes, there is conflict, the Clone Wars, and Maul says that oh yes, so it began without me. Now. The interesting thing uh, here is that Maul is only now sensing that the Force is out of balance. Hmm. Which kind of means that before he his ass got sliced by uh, Kenobi, uh, the Force was kind of in balance. And only the anguish that's caused by the Clone Wars caused it to really go out of balance. So that again tells me that when Anakin kill Palpatine and destroy the Sith, that might have been bringing that balance that was created by the Clone Wars and Sidious, which again leaves something entirely else for, for the aftermath, for, for the resolution of the saga, which is the harmony, which is uh, the thing that uh, Lor Santeca was talking about. Them working together and resolving the Grey. I 100% agree with everything he said. And another point with Ray and Ben is that, like, the Force is in balance. It's just that they don't realize that it is in balance and they need to work together. And I think that Luke saying, like, you need to find the balance and Ray feeling the balance. And I, I think it was even mentioned, well, it wasn't mentioned, like, specifically the balance, but 
when Ray and Ben worked together to fight the guards, I think it was described as them working as one. So I think at that moment, they realized that there there was a balance and they just don't know how to, you know, either side, like the whole like resistance and the first order thing, like that needs to just stop. Like they need to stop that fighting right? so that they can come together and work together. And, and I think that Snoke and Luke both realize that the balance is there. They are both saying things like, powerful light, powerful darkness, uh, you're equal in the light, uh, darkness rises and light to meet it. They, they know that the rules have changed. They know that the balance, uh, that force is balanced. Right, and this was never mentioned post, uh, sorry, pre-Anakin's death, so... Exactly. It's definitely, yeah. yeah, that definitely lends itself to that, definitely. It's almost like the First Order and the Resistance War are almost representing these these two sides that are so... Because, you know, I mean, I think I think you might have given me this idea, Luke, so I'm going to give you credit for this. A lot of people complain, and maybe there is a... Maybe it is all to do with nostalgia, and, you know, that's perfectly reasonable that that would be the case. But the First Order and the Resistance really do share a lot of resemblance to the Empire and the Re- Rebellion, right? And it's almost as if to say... These two sides are so fixated on the past between war, between light and dark, that they're actually holding the galaxy. They think they're, they're they both think they're fighting for a better galaxy. They both think they're fighting for for what they think is right, but really they're just playing pretend, and they're actually holding the galaxy back from. Oh yeah. Yes, and and this e- said. this even goes more to what like Kylo Ren was saying, like let the past die not only to rave but like like a kind of meta thing you know all this this whole conflict with with the two sides and then even when him with him saying to ray like it's time to let all things die the empire the rebellion you know the resistance everything like that ah uh, it's it, it's like he knows it like subconsciously he knows that things could be right but he's still fixated on like, oh, I need to stay with the first order for whatever reason. Who knows? Maybe he'll sabotage it from the inside out, and like he'll he'll come back later. I don't. I still think he's. I, th- I still think at the moment he's part of the problem. I think. Yes. The... No. Yeah. Definitely he is. But like it, you, with that statement, like he kind of knows that it's just wrong. Like the first order and the resistance. Like subconsciously he knows it's wrong, but he doesn't know how to break that. He's so close to getting it right. He's he's yes. so close, but he's just he is he is still again part of the problem because him refusing to look at the past and and acknowledge it, he's doing exactly what the first order and the resistance are doing right now. So he's and he's just... becoming trapped by the past itself. Right, right. It's like a a very sick uh, cyclical uh, conflict that is occurring basically. Um, I think you get these brief periods of balance, uh, as it were, or peace, right? And then you get this conflict coming up and you have two sides. Yeah. And then you can't, until you sort of can understand the other sides, the other side of the conflict, you can't really understand balance at all. So there's no, there's no hope of achieving balance. You know what I mean? Like until you sort of supersede the, the ideology of your own side kind of. Right. You know. And, and this is where I think Finn comes into play because I've always seen the ma- and uh, people have argued with me and that's perfectly fine they can see things the way they want to see it but I've always seen the main trio of this trilogy to be Finn, Ben and Rey and you'll think well where does Finn come into the balance then if, if Ben and Rey are the balance between light and dark where does Finn come in and to me Finn's role is to basically be if, if, if we're right and, and saying he is going to be the spark that starts the First Order Rebellion the Trooper Rebellion 
then that is a great way of stabilizing balance in you know not in a in a force aspect but in terms of a war aspect because the reason why the empire was was left up uh rose back up as the first order is you've you kind of got to almost imagine it as you think you've stomped the fire out but actually little embers are still there and they're still burning in anger and, re- and they want revenge and the fire's gonna the fire's just gonna burn right back up up again so if Finn actually makes sure that fire and that pain and that anger is is genuinely extinguished and gives these stormtroopers of the First Order some form of forgiveness, then that really is going to be representative of that. Man, I do hope JJ is listening and taking notes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, hopefully. I don't think he'd listen to this podcast, but... <laughs> oh, you never know. And then in a few months, we'll hear about reshoots and production problems. You never know. <laughs> and we'll be like, well, we told you. We'll, we have to get writing credits for this. If, if JJ, if you're listening... Give us writing credits, damn it. So, uh, moving on from the balance of the force, I think we're going to talk about something also related to relationships uh, between two sides. Uh, so, Liz, why don't you tell us what you wanted to talk about? Okay, so I wanted to talk about interspecies relationships in Star Wars. And this kind of piqued my interest because I had just finished reading the last shot, uh, novel. And in that we see Lando settled down with this Twi'lek girl named Kasha, I think is how you pronounce it. And it, it, it was really interesting seeing him throughout the book and struggle with the fact that they are in a war. I think he said it like he needed someone to warm his bed from time to time. And like, she felt the exact same way. Like they thought it was just a fling. And then by the end of the book, spoilers, they kind of find this, this love in each other and it, it wasn't just because of you know someone to warm a bed it was it was actual love and it was really beautiful you get to see like their relationship kind of unfold and it's very sweet and delicate and you wouldn't think that uh with lando and i just want to know what you guys thought of things like this and especially with the main character we see it uh in heron kanan from rebels and then we also saw it in the clone wars series uh there was a a clone trooper, uh, he actually had a family, like, you know, two kids, and I just want to know what, what your thoughts on this are. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't get the whole, if there is a stigma to it, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never seen any, sti- uh, any like, retaliation towards it, but I'm sure it goes on in the fandom. But I've never really seen it, because species like Twi'leks and Togrutas, Tog, Tog yeah, yeah Togrutas, they're not, they may as well be human, like, they've got human bodies, they've just got different coloured skin and, like, different things going on with their heads or whatever. They, they may is... as well be human, it's, it's, it's really not a big yeah. deal to see them. <laughs> Which is still an important thing to kind of normalise, that, that they are people, even if they look a bit different, so mm. that, 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 that's, a, that's an important point to make uh, but you do have things like that human girl and that ugly monster in mass kanata's castle yeah that's true uh, still I, I i think it's it's just a nice thing in the star wars universe that we see love well in their case it might not have been love but we do see love kind of prevail against odds such as conflicts and uh, different species or races or sexes whatever uh, given that love is like the, the power, the theme of uh, Star Wars, it's really nice that it does show up in uh, kind of this mundane but still important aspect of love. I believe it was the first time was in Clone Wars. 
and then we we've been seeing it pop up now after disney has bought star wars i like that they're kind of normalizing it and it's just i don't know it's such a a a powerful thing for me because it's just like the whole love wins thing you know like it, it doesn't matter who you are, what what sex, what race, it, or like species for that matter in Star Wars. Like it just doesn't matter. Oh uh, yeah, and I think it's it's certainly something we've seen before in Star Wars. So you know, no shock value there. Um, but if you even just look at it from the angle of like a high fantasy, like I don't know if anybody is into RPGs, right? Playing the RPGs, but. Um, oh yes. You get like elves, you know, half elves, half yeah. humans, half dwarves, half humans. Um, so that you know, if you're looking at it from a high fantasy angle, it's not that weird or out out of bounds, really. So yeah, love prevails. Love prevails. Yes. <laughs> That's a great message to send. Yeah. That's what Star Wars is is all about, I guess. Maz Kanata and Chewbacca. Yes, oh even man! That, yes. How could we not yes. mention that? <laughs> the biggest ship ever. Yeah, by the way, do you guys think that we'll see the initial spark of this love? Well, maybe not in Solo, but in uh, uh, some surrounding materials, oh God, or I... maybe in a sequel? I-, I hope it's in, like, a book or something. That would be <laughs> yeah, too I mean, do we even know that Chewie feels the same way? Is it, like, an unrequited thing? Or what? Make it a... Doesn't yeah. Chewie have a wife? <laughs> this is it's true. It's just a fling. She's just a. She's just a side. What's Chewie doing? Playing away from home. I mean, God. <laughs> yeah. With smugglers. Yes. <laughs> Typical smuggler. Chewie's right. a bad boy. He is. <laughs> he is. Oh gosh. <laughs> One last thing I wanted to, I guess, bring up, and in, in the spirit of building hype for Solo coming up here, um, wanted to try and squeeze some speculation uh, for the Solo movie uh, into, you know, this. Uh, episode here so a couple questions i guess just to sort of riff off of here so uh first one we've got how does han get where he is um is that going to be something that you know is this film going to cover sort of uh, obviously we're going to see you know han getting to where he is in episode four but are, are we going to get a lot of references i mean I, i'm 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 a little concerned that we may be getting heavy references to little details that maybe too many of them like i saw some a post something about uh his blaster the dl44 oh that, yeah you know that he, he given gets, to him by beckett right and and so is every little piece gonna be like that i, I just hope it's a it's we don't go there that <laughs> red letter media left about like the solo explaining where han got his boots like, w- w- was it a store on Corellia? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I wouldn't put it past it at this point. It was a sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, but given that there uh, there is a talk about solo sequels, I don't think that where we end up in solo is where we kind of pick up in A New Hope. So there will be plenty of ground to cover between solo and episode 4. But I, on on the other hand, I am sure they will kind of try to squeeze in as many, like, character building moments for, for Han there like him learning to always shoot first uh, not, not uh, explicitly stated but we'll see how he becomes that person how he gets the falcon how he meets lando and chewy and how he becomes kind of a bit more detached bit less optimistic less hopeful yeah which 
yeah, hopefully no, Luke will bring out. I, I'm sure we'll get the baby Han Solo stories someday in the future. <laughs> um, but I'm, it, I, I think it's even just interesting to think, you know, if this is sort of the movie that takes Han from being sort of this optimistic guy into being a little more cynical, you know, what circumstances brought Han to be this sort of optimistic guy from the get-go, you know? Well, yeah. I, I don't think he'll be like... Um optimistic uh, per se I, I think he'll be more of a eager young guy trying to prove himself and believing he can change things you know he's young he's immortal he's got all the power and uh, then the, the adventure will obviously kind of put him in his place and teach him that no those aren't those aren't your friends on an adventure that they will betray you you, you know kind of t- teach him the life <laughs> But so, so I don't think he'll be like a hopeful, optimistic kind of guy at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that it won't be like, wh- however we start Han off, or Han, 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 whoever Han. We, however we start <laughs> Han Solo off with Solo. I just, hope just call, not... just call him Baby like Lando does. <laughs> oh my God, I, I seriously hope that that wasn't just an, like a, a weird edit and that Lando actually does call him baby like I, seriously i just this is this this would make my this would make the movie for me I if, like, need this, <laughs> talk about lando's closet lando lando in his closet um or maybe not so much if he's calling Han baby but you know it's um for me it's more important that we see it's not not that we have to see like every little tidbit of han becoming who he is i think that it <laughs> As much as obviously yes, I mean, we do need to see Han progress. It would be kind of stupid if he stays the same character for for ten years. Like, okay, so he he starts off and then the movie ends. But if the movie ends with him becoming Han Solo that we know in A New Hope, it would be kind of strange to me because there's ten years in between them two movies. So to me, it just it just it would just be weird to me. We don't have to see everything. This is the one thing that I didn't like about. Revenge of the Sith. Or, well, there's many things I don't like about Revenge of the Sith, but one of them was, and the prequels in general, is how everything had to be wrapped up. You know, it was like, even to the point where you're seeing the Death Star getting constructed uh, at the end of the movie, it's like, no, we, we know that's going to be undergo construction, but, like, we don't need to see that. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. Well, this we would know, though, and this is the stupid thing. Like, don't, <laughs> I mean, okay, I mean, I know the audience are probably going to be idiots, but <laughs> you've got to, don't just assume that. I mean, maybe you have to, but I don't know, it's just, not everything has to be explained, not everything has to... I mean, things like Han getting his blaster, right? I, don't, I don't mind that, because, like, that's it's a significant part to his character, right? And he al- he's always, like, you know, shooting it, or he was before he died. So, you know, it, it, things like that are fine. Yeah, I agree. It, not everything needs to be spoon-fed to us, like, right. we're smarter than that. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Well, it, it is a fine uh, line to to thread on when you tackle an established character's backstory, but I, I'm sure if anyone can do it, it's Ron Howard. I, I do trust, and, and Lawrence Kasdan, of course. I, I do trust them with, with the script that it will not be just references and it will be an actual story. I really hope so. Yeah, um, there, there was those recent rumors of these guys being signed on for more films, so hopefully yeah. Yeah, that lends itself to some more character building. They don't get any knock it all out in one film right i mean i'd be really annoyed genuinely really annoyed if the last time han and lando meet in this movie is is the last meeting they'll have in until until empire strikes back yeah they've they've got to have some more 
yeah. some more we'll, hijinks. We'll not see that thing he pulled. Yeah, I mean, I really <laughs> after what to... he pulled. Yeah, no. I'm fine yeah. seeing it. I'm fine seeing it in if they if they do make a trilogy, and I'm fine seeing it in the last movie. That that would be perfect. It just don't ram everything together and try to create some origin story. Like, just have this be a film where. Han Solo is the main character, but don't make it his origin story where everything has to be explained, I think is basically what we're all trying to say, but yeah. So when we see Han in episode four, and I guess this kind of goes along the same, um, you know, the same line of of questioning of, you know, whether we're going to see every little detail sort of explained, but one little nuance or thing I would like to see, maybe, if we are going to get some reference to the Force or anything like that, something that might make Han sort of... uh, get to that point where he thinks that the force is mumbo jumbo if han does have any interactions with the force sort of at a, in his build up to episode uh, 4 then i would hope that it would be something that lends itself you know you know what i mean i don't want to see han right. interacting with any force characters well jedi to be and honest, stuff before i think fans are a bit too sensitive about this seeing is not always believing and han had to hear about the Force. He uh, had to meet Mas Kanata before. He knows that the Force is a thing, which doesn't mean he has to believe it. uh, When when Obi-Wan is talking about the Force in A New Hope, Han obviously already knows, uh, immediately knows what he's talking about, about the power controlling his every action or whatever. So Han knows the gist of it, he just doesn't buy it, and um, it's kind of in line with Imperial propaganda that, uh, you know, the the Jedi were real, they were just traitors, and their their whole Force powers were just, you know, kind of mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, I I I would like to see maybe somebody with, you know, some sort of technology that lets them, you know, pull a yeah, I mean, effectively we, we, we could see a guy force pushing someone and Han is like, repulses. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe it actually would be, like, I think Fuel, um, well, Fuel, do you actually want to tell, you know, talk about this because this is, this was your uh, idea, so. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, what I mean is, is I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, somebody pulling one over on him to sort of get him to that point of cynicism with the force you know a, a character where maybe they are some sort of pretend to be some sort of priest or something to that effect and then they do use you know repulsor lifts or something yeah some sort of in in universe technology to sort of deceive everybody and he's like well mm. yeah it's just it's a farce you know certainly that aspect of religion <laughs> exists it's a farce that's that's a nice line <laughs> It's not. It's not force. It's the farce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Only other little note we had here was um. <laughs> sort of thinking again about Han Solo uh, as, you know, we're seeing the youth of one of the main characters. Of course, we've seen where Ben Solo is as a youth, as well. You know, troubled youth and such. Do you think we'll see any references or allusions in? Han Solo's youth that would relate to Ben Solo as a character. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, what was it Ron Howard said about Han in, in, in one of the latest interviews? You know, he's uh, the, the thing that he hates so much about himself that is that he's a, he's a good guy or something like that, and he doesn't want to be a good guy. And that is kind of very, that is very similar to... Oh, that's, that's very Kylo Ren. It's almost on the nose, <laughs> I mean, at yeah. this point. I don't know if we'll see anything super, super alluding to it, but... Yeah. Just, I think it will be the themes. I mean, this is one of the things I'm most excited for about Han Solo, you know, the movie. Just seeing something like that where it's clearly alluding to Ben and his path. I mean, 
one thing I did actually notice the other day was that Kylo Ren is on the side of the First Order. Han Solo also did a stint at the Empire as well. So what caused him yeah. to turn, maybe the that pottery. would be similar. The pottery, yeah. The pottery. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think there's there's going to be some very strong parallels between their two characters. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on when you go to see the movie. Yeah. And one thing, one thing I think as well is, like, when we're growing up and we look at our parents, we kind of see them as just our parents, right? We don't, we don't actually acknowledge the fact that they had lives beforehand. And then, like, you know, we get to that age where we got that rebellious streak, much like Kylo Ren is, is kind of experiencing right now. And we try to, like, go against what we think our parents wouldn't have been like. And by doing that, we only end up becoming more like our parents were at that age anyway. So I think there's going to be some some funny lines to draw between them two things. You know, Kylo Ren thinking he's being so different from his father is actually going to be... He's actually going to be doing an incredibly similar thing. Can Ben Solo please say either I'm a killer or I'm beginning to like her, please? Like, I just need oh, that. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that would be nice. That would be funny. I think uh, to what you were saying, Sam, is, you know, Ben, see what he refers to his father in The Last Jedi is stupid and foolish. Um, so whereas he sees his father as sort of this, re- you know, maybe rebellious or sort of wild card kind of character person, he himself maybe sees himself as sort of orderly. And, you know, mm. following following order and doing what, what needs to be done. And he feels like he's facing, but it, it's sort of quite the opposite uh, of what he's trying to actually accomplish. Eventually, Kylo, or sorry, eventually Ben would see that, you know, his, the way his father was isn't so much how he perceived him to be, uh, you know, on his build-up. Exactly. And it won't happen, but how would you guys feel if Solo ends and... I don't know who would be telling him the story, but if if it was like a post episode eight scene where someone's telling him the story, and you know it's Ben Solo realizing that his, his father was actually a man, and maybe that could be some sort of key to his redemption. I don't know. I mean, that's that's right. that's stupid, but I don't know. I just think that it would be kind of cool to see. It won't happen. I mean, we still are gonna have that little link with the dice. Mm, that's true. But... Oh yeah. Yeah, just some stuff to think about, though. So, Han Solo, less than two weeks now, guys. God. Oh, man. <laughs> Build hype. Well, by the time this goes up, it'll be like a week and a half. Oh, no, it might even be a week. Yeah, it'll be a week. Damn. So, Liz has just stepped out. She had to leave early. So, we'll just go on to the community segment without her. Uh, the community segment is the place where you can get to know us a little bit better and ask us questions. Also, we get a chance to spotlight certain parts of the community that have earned it. We're going to start by answering a few quickfire questions posted by our very own listeners. If you want to shoot us a question, head on over to the subreddit at rcastlefun and go to the Q&A topic we have posted there. Please note we are now accepting any questions, so they no longer have to be Star Wars related. The first question is, is Dengar the coolest bounty hunter ever? But I'll rephrase that as, who is the coolest bounty hunter ever? Whoa. <laughs> well, it's not Dengar, and... Um... <laughs> someone, someone on Discord is going to be very mad you've said that. Now, we've only really had two bounty hunters that really took the spotlight, which is the uh, Fett clan. So it really is kind of between Boba and Django, but then again, there's only one good choice, and that is Cad Bane, out of nowhere. I'm going to throw in another wild card here from the Clone Wars, and that's going to be Embo. I seriously love Embo. 
Do you guys know who Embo is? If not, I someone... do not remember he who was, uh, Embo is. He was that guy with the hat, right? He's the guy with the hat. He has the little spiny dog thing. Oh, I'll, I'll get, I'll get whoever yes, said this in the, the video. The one who chased Anakin on a kind of snowboard from his hat. Yeah, um, <laughs> he, he had other scenes as well that, that he was much cooler in. Uh, mind you, actually, it's hard to top that. I but, imagine, but Cad Bane has a cooler hat <sighs> and a cooler uh, voice. I don't know about this. <laughs> well, yeah, I see, am, I, I, I would, think. I would go a different direction from you guys. I think mm. IG88 or Bosk um, would be Bosk my choices. Is cool. One or the Bosk other. Bosk is very cool. I just like the the elements we get from the, the ancillary characters. You know, they're not your regular humanoid dudes running around. They've got some. Some extra crazy backstory to him. IG88 was fun in Legends uh, when he plugged himself into the second Death Star and became the second Death Star just what? moments before it blew up. So, um, if you want to measure uh, Bounty Hunter's effectiveness by the scale of uh, destructions he can bring, then yeah, IG88 by being the Death Star wins. He can bring it, but he didn't. He failed. So, therefore, we can't <laughs> yeah. really count him. <laughs> I still think Embo's awesome, and I'm pretty sure he's actually voiced by Dave Filoni. I'm pretty sure. I don't know for certain, but I really want to say he is voiced by Dave Filoni. He doesn't even—he doesn't ever say any words. He just kind of speaks in like jumbled alien language. But right. I just think he's—I just think he's awesome. I just right. think so. Movie-wise, I'd say Django. He did at least manage to fight a Jedi. And he's got those really cool sounding blasters as well. Yeah. Um. When if we expand it, I have to say Cad Bane again. At least Cad Bane's cool. On on what uh, based on what we've seen, uh, on actual feats, uh, if you want, uh, Cad Bane is is the man. I yeah, mean, and he's he fought also... two Jedi with a lightsaber. Come on. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and he, he also I think he is the guy that mentored uh, Boba as well. So yeah. I mean, he's Boba's mentor. Um, I, I, I don't know. I would, I would somewhat agree with you on Cad Bane. He, he is, uh, he is super cool. What about you, Fuel? IG88 and Bosk. IG88 and Bosk. <laughs> if I had to pick someone from the movies, I'd say it would have to be Bosk for me. I think Bosk is, uh, Bosk is just too cool for school. I think. I just want, I, don't I, know. I, I just want more weird, either, man. Yeah. Give more weird. I don't, you know, yeah. just more weird. Make it weird. Make it weird every day. Alright, so, Sam, make it weird with the next question. Next question is oh, it's actually not that weird. It's a bit it's a bit of a downbeat note actually. Uh, <laughs> right, are you guys ready for this? Yep. Do you think recasting this is a really big change of uh change of uh tone this. Mm. So maybe <laughs> maybe I'll go on to the third question, which is a bit light hide. Blue milk or green milk? Um green Blue. I'd say green milk because you can. I, I, I kinda imagine it being salty fans' tears, and that gives me joy. <laughs> no, I wonder what, what 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 would green milk taste like? Like, oh man, I, I imagine it to have like this kind of like menthol flavor to it, yeah, which I don't know uh, how would how uh, would taste. I think it has a strong flavor. I mean, when you see Luke's face when he drinks it, it's, he's like, you know, <sighs> he's loving it. He's loving yeah, the green it's like milk. A, it's I like mean, a shamrock shake. Skywalker shaker. loves it. Yeah. <laughs> Luke like Skywalker. What we gotta remember about <laughs> <laughs> what we've got to remember about Luke Skywalker though is he grew up on blue milk. So if he's if he's loving this green milk, that says a lot about <laughs> green milk and its power. I mean, he has to be fed up with blue. Maybe he just couldn't get blue milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't get a good blue milk here. Right. <laughs> just have to Bl blue green. milk. Blue milk is what what your aunt is giving you. 
green milk is what you get when you exile yourself to a Jedi island. So, you know. It's kind <laughs> of, it's poetry in a way, because Luke started off with a blue lightsaber. And he ended with a green lightsaber. Oh goodness! <laughs> oh man, that's that's some heavy, heavy parallels. There. The poetry does not stop in <laughs> no, Star Wars, guys. It's, it's all is there. always present. It's always there. So the green milk is referencing his green lightsaber. I I have never never thought of that. The so. green milk, and I'll tell you what the green milk represents right now. The green milk represents his failure with Ben Solo when he ignited his green lightsaber. No! And therefore, he is subjected to a life of green oh, no. milk. Yes, this is what it means. Right, this is canon, so no one can convince me otherwise. All right, you you win. <laughs> okay, so the last question. <laughs> it's really it's really downbeat now, and I feel really bad. I feel like I, I, feel like I, I feel like I haven't set up for the tone for this. Do you think recasting Leia is disrespectful towards Carrie Fisher? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Disrespectful? No, only because I know Carrie would be fine with it. She'd she'd make jokes and poke fun at whoever uh, got to play Leia next, and uh, I think that sense of humor that Carrie Fisher had, and you know that that spirit of hers, uh, is something that's very important to consider when when uh, when discussing this matter of, of her being recast. Right, and, and I almost feel like it's, in a sense, it's more disrespectful to... I mean, I think, to be honest with you, I think they will just kill Leia off uh, in between movies, but yeah, or do something like that. But I almost think it's kind of disrespectful to, like, cut her arc short. Um, I almost think she'd be more annoyed about that because yeah. she would want Leia to have like it's a character. It's supposed to stand alone, you know, from right. from the actor. Yeah, that's that's you know, I mean, if we're talking about modern day mythology, you know, and and things they'll look back to in the future as the storytelling of our time, such and such played Zeus from so on to so on. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm... in this case, somebody played. You know, I'm for she is she is the character. I mean, you know what I mean. Up, to, she is the character. Right. She definitely, of is. course. Um, all of them are, but in the spirit of the characters becoming greater, you know, living mm. on, and sort yeah, of being that mythology, exactly. modern mythology. Then you know, it, it, there it, there shouldn't be disrespect beyond making sure the character is taken care of and and yeah, exactly. With if, if they weapons. handle. If they handle Leia with respect, they will handle Carrie with respect. Exactly. Right, exactly. And and I don't, you know, at the end of the day, how much entitlement does an actor or actress really have to their character? I mean, and obviously, you know, no one can forget the work they do to bring them alive, but it almost becomes bigger than them once once they're in, especially in something like Star Wars as well, where it's so massive. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like um, callous or. Uh, Right. I don't know what the word for it would be, but it just I just think that like it goes It sounds silly, it's... but they they made the characters, you know, be as big as they were. And yeah, you would only yeah. hope that the character continues to grow beyond exactly. you know what I mean. Definitely, yeah. I think that's what I'm that's that's definitely what I'm trying to say. Um so anyone else have any final thoughts on that? That was that was uh, tough stuff, man. Thanks for that question. <laughs> yeah, I really feel bad about putting that question. Well, in I, I can only imagine what talks did, did they have at Lucasfilm about this. But... I know, oh, that, goodness. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall for that. God. Yeah. 
But th that only shows how how big and important Carrie's work as Leia was. Right, so, yeah. And for me, as much as I've said like it wouldn't be disrespectful, it doesn't, I don't think it'd be disrespectful. But I wouldn't want to see another ac actress uh, take on the role. It just would. Yeah, I get it would feel weird to me unless like they literally couldn't wrap up episode nine. And they had to do it. There's no way I'd want it done. It, look, look how weird. how wonderful her legacy is that you would have to worry so much about how the character right. is taking exactly. care of. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a positive note to. So end, yeah, to end on, yeah. End on. So, um, with all that wrapped up, fuel. Do you want to close out and give the audience our coordinates? Yes, thank you everybody for joining us this episode. Uh, if you'd like to find us in a galaxy far, far away, aka the internet. You can find us on subreddit uh, rkesselfun. Uh, you can see us uh, or find us on Twitter at Kesselfun. On YouTube, uh, searching Kesselfun Podcast. SoundCloud at uh, soundcloud.com slash Podcast. Uh, we are also available on Pocket Cast. If you search for, guess what? Kesselfun Podcast. <laughs> Starting to see a theme here. Available on iTunes as well. So uh, that said, thanks again, everybody. See you around, kids.